Welcome to the Besties with Breasties podcast. Sarah Hall here. I am a certified health and wellness coach, athletic trainer, mom, and breast cancer survivor. I help women overcome their own mind drama to make mind shifts that open up the possibility for their most empowered and energetic life. And I am Beth Wilmus, author, speaker, and founder of a human investment organization, otherwise known as a nonprofit called Faith Through Fire. Our mission is to reduce the fear and anxiety that breast cancer patients feel and replace it with hope and a path toward thriving. This podcast is about our experiences with breast cancer and life after as young survivors and moms. Beth, you got a haircut. I did. Do you like it? It's short. her nice way of being like I don't like it I want to say that so so my um my mom and my sister liked it and then my husband and my kids were like nope it's too short I love their honesty it's too short I know so for everybody listening I went to my stylist and I said okay I want a short blunt bob with bangs which I'll admit that's a risk Mm -hmm. but I, I honestly feel like once you've been bald are you seriously like what what could go wrong? Right. It's my question. Sure. Yeah. Right. You got hair. I have hair. Woo-hoo, that's a celebration. It will grow. I know this for a fact now. <laughs> so, so there wasn't that much risk involved in the decision making. And I changed my hair a lot anyway. But um, yeah, your your opinion is noted and shared <laughs> by, by, by some others. Um, but we're it's actually a good segue because we're going to be talking about like the ups and downs of treatment. So yeah. when you lost your hair, was it like, were you okay with it or were you upset? Oh, gosh, no. Losing my hair was probably the very first big roadblock that I knew as soon as I heard I was going to have chemo, I was immediately, my brain went to, oh no, I'm going to lose my hair. And, um, I think that was the part, the hardest part of that was really kind of feeling like I was losing my identity. I've always been Sarah, the redhead Mm -hmm. and long red hair, always cut my hair long. Like that's how people describe me. It's like, you know, being Jesse with the glasses or, you know, I felt like it was a part of who I was. And, um, so I think losing my hair was a pretty big hit to take. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, now it's totally different. It actually came back in brown. So it's a lot different. Well, browner. It's got a red tint. Um, I was going to say your hair is red. Is that, is that, do, do, you, do, you, do you use color? No. Sarah, your hair is still red. Okay. Well, it is much browner than it was before. <laughs> I didn't before. know you before, so I couldn't say for certain, like, how much less red, but... Thanks thanks for helping my ego. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, now it's definitely like, I have hair, so like, what could go wrong? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally, um, I think that losing your hair is one of those things. So I don't know what you did, but when I, so my doctor had said, okay, it's probably going to start falling out after the third treatment. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happened. Um, And so, you know, you start finding the hair on the pillow Uh or in the shower and you're like, it's happening. And so then it's like, do I get out in front of this and just, you know, shave my head? So I don't know how you did it, but I stair-stepped the approach. It's kind of like quitting smoking, right? Like Mm -hmm. first you (laughs) kind of like do it in steps to make it easier. So it it helps your heart. Right. You're not like just. I don't know. Cold turkey is really difficult. Cold turkey yeah. is really difficult. So <laughs> first thing I did was I cut all my hair off into a pixie, which for me was not a big deal because I had done that before cancer. So to cut my hair down into a pixie was not a thing for me. Um, but then, yeah, so I cut it into a pixie and maybe I got another week out of that before mm. I was like, it's time. Yeah. And so, you know, my husband was like, just let me know when you're ready and I'll take my clippers to you. 
And, you know, I remember like walking around the house, like doing things and thinking I, sh- I should just rip the bandaid off and do it. Like I, <laughs> I just needed. To- so I went and found him and I'm like, I think it's time. And so we did. We the kids were at school and we went into the bathroom and we tried to have fun with it. I mean, he gave me like a faux hawk. You know, because <laughs> nice. when else are you going to do that? Right. 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 So, yeah, he gave me like a, a faux hawk to begin with. And we took pictures and, um, you know, he did it for me. And the funny part I that I remember out of it, I took a picture of us doing it. And if you look at the picture, what cracks me up about it is he and I look like twins after. Because <laughs> he doesn't That's have hair. He has no hair. Nice. And then I had no hair. Uh, I mean, it was like ridiculous. We were joking that we should go as each other for Halloween. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. See, so you're just you just make the best light out of the situation. You yeah. I mean, you kinda have to. There's no other, you know. And then, you know, once you get used to it, it's okay. So how about you? Like, how did you get rid of your hair? Yeah. I so it was summer, so the beginning of summer. And um I remember I think it was my nurse navigator said like at basically at the 14 day mark, you're going to start losing your hair. And, you know, I held on to hope for all of those 14 days. Maybe I'll be that 1% that doesn't. Maybe right. I will. <laughs> and, um, and then it started it almost like clockwork, like on the 14th day, um, brushing my hair, it was coming out in like clumps Ooh. and we were driving around with our windows open. Um, <laughs> oh, no. and it was, it was literally just like flying off of my head. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I remember the very last day that I had hair, I actually took pictures because we were out picking strawberries with my family. And, um, and I had like little pigtails that I was just afraid that somebody was going like my kids um we're gonna grab them and just like pull all my hair off so I think it was that night um my friend who is actually now my babysitter and love her dearly she told me from the get-go like hey I'm gonna come shave my head with you whenever you're ready so she came over it was like nine o'clock at night and my husband we had to go buy clippers especially and she came over and we shaved our head in the bathroom and she's like I'm so excited for my little kids to wake up in the morning and be like mom where's your hair I mean she had long (laughs) hair but I guess oh and I didn't mention this I did um you know right before I started chemo I cut my hair off I had really long hair like it was down to the bottom of my rib cage and I had cut it off to donate it to uh wigs for kids because I knew I wanted to do that and I had long Mm. hair I didn't want it to go to waste and don't you think that there's something that is uh cathartic about finding purpose in something that you have to do that's difficult I mean it's like okay I have to do this hard thing but I'm gonna try to make something beautiful out of it yes yeah if I so I had like my hair is so you've seen it Mm-hmm. You, you've seen it. It's fine. <laughs> it lacks it lacks a certain essence that I wish it had. <laughs> Nobody wants my hair is my point. So if I could have if I could have donated it, I would. But my hair was already too short. But I was going to ask you, did you always have short hair? Yeah, I've almost oh, okay. always had short hair. Got it. I am a 90 year old trapped in a 40 year old body. That's <laughs> so cute. <laughs> You and your long sweater over there. <laughs> my cardigan. In August. My cardigan. It's, yes. It's chilly in here. <laughs> so in our last episode, we talked about how we found out we had cancer, the importance of listening to your body, and then the choice that we each had to make on whether we wanted to get better or bitter. So even if you do decide you want to get better, you need to be prepared for the ups and downs that are inevitably going to come during the treatment process. Um, So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the highs and lows of cancer treatment and how to prepare yourself mentally so you don't crumble. Exactly. So before we continue, let's hear from one of our sponsors. Do you ever get to the end of the month and wonder where all of your money goes? Like many others, you have made money mistakes. Are you living paycheck to paycheck and don't know what to do or how to save? Are you sleepless, worried about how to pay your bills and when to pay them? Do you need and want to gain control of your money, but don't know who to ask for help? 
well, there's hope. Meredith McVeal is a Dave Ramsey preferred money coach and can guide you from financial overwhelm to financial peace using a series of simple and proven steps. With her expert advice, you will learn how to cash flow your income, pay off credit card, medical or student loan bills, and save and invest in your future. Additionally, Meredith is a two-time breast cancer survivor and deeply understands the overwhelming weight of the disease and the costs that go with it. Stop the endless worry and anxiety around your hard-earned money and call Meredith today. The first step is to schedule a phone call at ramseycoach.com forward slash Meredith. That's ramseycoach.com forward slash Meredith or call 314-724-1043. All right, so... We're back. Let's talk about the emotional roller coaster that is cancer. Yeah. So you mentioned that you had a lot of emotional highs and lows when you went through treatment. Like, tell me about that. Yeah. Um, there was, I think, something really big to remember. One, everybody's situation is unique. Um, I, in particular, was postpartum. So imagine yourself postpartum, all the moms <laughs> out there. Um, you're already highs and lows. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, luckily this wasn't my first, so I kind of had an idea about what to do with with my kiddos. But um, now stack on top of that, everything that you have to do when you're trying to make decisions with uh, cancer and treatment and, and the things that you're taking in that's all new and fresh. Um, I think what was some of the biggest ups and downs was going from being told, you, you know, there's a potential, you know, given the hope, there's a potential this is stage zero, you know, and then finding out after my mastectomy, it's actually stage one and now you need treatment. So like the highs and lows of that. And then, you know, I know that you kind of went through the same thing, but um, the highs and lows of, am I going to do radiation? Like making the big decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then really probably one of the biggest ups and downs for me was being postpartum and not being able to nurse my kiddo um, and breastfeed. So I had breastfed my first for um, 15 months Mm -hmm. and knew that that was something that I couldn't wait. I think I even made the joke before I had cancer, like, Oh, my next kid is going to nurse until she goes off to college. Cause I just didn't want to get my cycle back. And, you know, it felt so good. And I love the bonding. And, you know, then ironically it got kind of ripped away. So I had to deal with that and you have to process your emotions with that. And I'll never forget being in, um, actually in the office of the family practitioner who sent me off for my first, um, oncology appointment she handed me a box of tissues and was like you have to process this Hmm. and and was like basically just gave me the space to cry it out and it was that's interesting I I think like when I hear that it just it always reinforces the fact that it's not just about the cancer it's Mm -hmm. everything else that it impacts in your life and Mm -hmm. so for you it was the trauma of losing your hair and then finding out that something you had been looking forward to bonding with your child, you know, in that way was not going to necessarily be possible anymore. And it's just, and did you feel like that was harder for you to come to do, to terms with than the cancer? Yeah. Because you, that- you want to put blame on something like, uh, like I want this so bad and I'm going to blame this cancer. Oh, this is taken away from me. And, and you just get angry because it's completely out of your control. 
And do you think people understand that? Or do you think they think you should be worried about saving your life and nothing else? Like everything else is uh, inconsequential. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. Do you think people minimize those quality of life totally. issues that are related to a cancer diagnosis? Totally. Totally. I do too. I feel and, and like... And I don't, I don't think that that's even just specific to cancer. Mm-hmm. I think that that's lots of different things. So, you know, if you get diagnosed with diabetes or, you know, uh, another health and autoimmune disorder, a lot of times you put your quality of life and, and the things that were important to you kind of on the back burner for now you're saving your life or now you're fixing this or mm-hmm. now you have to take this medication. Like mm-hmm. it just kind of gets pushed down and and you have to confront those feelings. Yeah, I agree. I do think you have to, um, you have to kind of take each day on its own Mm -hmm. because I do feel like if you look too far ahead you're going to get overwhelmed and you're going to kind of freak out which is natural I think it's really important to just take each day as it comes and address the feelings and the news that day I mean I don't know if you agree with that or not but that's that's how I got through it's just focusing on the day at hand which as a society I feel like it's so hard to live in the moment to be Mm -hmm. present anyway um, but cancer is pretty good at making you do that. Mm-hmm. It snaps you back to reality right? pretty fast. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, it wasn't that hard of a transition for me to do that. I It was literally too overwhelming to think too much in the future to where I just focused on the day at hand. And that seemed manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I hear you. I What were your biggest ups and downs whenever you got diagnosed and then kind of going through treatment? I mean, I felt like there was quite a bit of bait and switch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, I, my doctors would say things like, we don't think you need radiation. And then I'd get a lift from that. Like, oh, finally, a piece yeah. of news, like good <laughs> news. And then the very next appointment, all of a sudden it was, well, your cancer exhibits this specific characteristic. So this makes you more susceptible to reoccurrence. Now we want you to have radiation. Or they would say the mastectomy went well, but then the pathology report would come back and they didn't get enough, uh, they didn't get clean margins around one of the tumors, which meant there were potentially cancer cells left behind. And, and so it was just those kind of things, which um, made it kind of hard to, to, to find your footing and to stay kind of even, it was just these extreme ups and downs. And when I went through treatment, I kind of joked about it that I felt like one of those um, inflatable clowns that you punch and they like, (laughs) (laughs) and they like fall back and Mm -hmm. then they pop back up. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how I felt because I'm a pretty resilient person. I'm a pretty strong person. So I feel like I take the punch and then I'd have to process it mm-hmm. and then I'd come back up, you know, for round two. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think it's super, super stressful. And I think sometimes um, providers and others in healthcare, they become desensitized to how those kind of things affect a patient, how they hear them, what that feels like to be constantly getting news that doesn't sound great. Um, it's not necessarily fair, but it definitely made me attribute the stress from my cancer diagnosis to the doctors rather than the actual diagnosis, which is, oh, I think is interesting, yeah. you know, because they're the bearer of bad news, right? Like, yeah. don't don't shoot the messenger. Sure. Um, so I guess my question for you is, what did you find helpful for bringing you back up? I mean, the thing that I hated to do, but that was the most beneficial for me was to just, like you said, it's exactly what the doctor told you. You have to process how you feel and you Mm. have to admit how you feel. Mm. So I was the queen of a, of emotional avoidance. And so I would always kind of push things to the side or just barrel through them and be like, I'm going to just power through this. I'm, I'm strong. Um, but I realized in this circumstance that wasn't going to work. And so I really had to come to grips with the fact that every time I got hit with news that upset me, I had to acknowledge the fact and, and kind of 
I don't know, for lack of a better word, honor the feeling and mm-hmm. say, and legitimize it. Like this is, of course you feel this way. Mm-hmm. It's almost as like being nice to yourself, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, of course you feel this way that you just got this news. Who, you know, who wouldn't feel this way? It's okay that you feel this way and it's okay that you're sad mm-hmm. and it's okay that you're scared and this is expected, you know, mm-hmm. but then I would also kind of talk myself out of my own funk. I would say, you know what though? What did you expect? Did you think life wasn't going to hand you curveballs? Did you think you were going to go through your entire life without uh, adversity or some sort of setback? No, I guess not. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you're in that moment. Mm -hmm. You know, how are you going to respond? And so it's funny because I would dig myself in the hole and then I would kind of dig myself back out. It's funny because I see parallels all the time. Like, you know, it's just all a matter of perspective. For cancer, it just seems, it does always seem like But these are potentially life or death situations, but our body reacts the exact same way and the same tools are effective in, you know, your day not going right, like you getting a flat tire on the way to work. Like, you know, our body is always going to need the same things. Okay, you just need to come back to like that stress response. Yeah, the stress response. you, You need to come back to what works for you and what kind of gives you that peace. But don't you feel like I mean, I I felt like, you know, that would have been really helpful to have somebody kind of educate me on the natural stress responses when you get a serious diagnosis. Like, mm-hmm. this is how your body is going to respond chemically. And to your point, these are the stress responses we all have in day-to-day life, but this is obviously a bigger deal. Mm-hmm. And these are the ways that you can kind of mitigate that stress response. You know, I almost feel like if I had known that it was normal and to expect those emotions, mm-hmm. that it would have helped me kind of navigate those waters better instead of me yes. floundering around and trying to figure it out myself. I mean, I think that's why we're doing this podcast now is to try to maybe help help somebody figure these things out sooner than you and I did normalize that there's going to be ups and downs and Mm -hmm. normalize normalize feelings like normalize that it's not beautiful pink ribbons and people running and cheering for you like that is obviously the the fun part you know whatever but it's not breast cancer is not always going to be you know beautiful pink ribbons beautiful pink ribbon. Well, yeah, I definitely, I mean, I was definitely not feeling that vibe <laughs> when, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> when I was going through treatment. Yeah. I just, I don't know. So, um, okay. Before we move on, guess what time it is? Boobs in the news. It's time for boobs in the news. <laughs> okay. So in case you missed our first podcast, boobs in the news is a fun segment where we read funny tweets from real people or ridiculous news stories. So let's do that now. All right. Bibs in the news, bibs in the news, bibs in the news. <laughs> so, so I've read this and you haven't. I nope. just thought it was kind of funny. Um, You're going to get an authentic response right here. Okay. <laughs> so this comes out of Louisville, Kentucky, right? And the title of this says, Don't Lick Your Fingers. Oh, boy. Okay. It says, that's what Kentucky Fried Chicken signaled to customers Monday as the company suspended its, quote, its finger-licking-good tagline after 64 years, deeming it, quote, the most inappropriate slogan for 2020 (laughs) (laughs) amid the coronavirus pandemic. The suspension will affect the slogan's use in global advertising for a little while, the company said in a statement. Oh, <laughs> poor KFC. I but what I think is funny about this 
is that they think they have to explain. Like, I, I think it's funny they think they have to suspend it because there's real danger. Mm-hmm. Oh, real There's danger. real danger in somebody licking their fingers and getting coronavirus. <laughs> like, that's the culture we live in now is that they had yes. to suspend something they've been doing for 64 years. Mm-hmm. Because they're worried that somebody's... The finger licking is on pause. <laughs> right, right. We can't let you lick your fingers. No. We, we can't be responsible for what might happen. <laughs> so, oh, it's a different world. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was so... I thought that was funny. It is pretty funny. So I don't know if that... I don't know if they're the boob or if the people they're speaking to. I think the people they're speaking to, the people that they're worried about, those are the boobs. What do mm-hmm. you think? Oh, that's a good question. It's a chicken before the egg. <laughs> No, know. you did it. You did not. <laughs> I just said that. <laughs> you, did, you totally did. Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. All right, we are back. So we have now talked about some of the lows that we experienced in treatment. Um, but let's talk about some things we had built up in our heads that didn't go quite as bad as we had expected. Yeah. Okay. So before we like dive into this, can we talk about Dr. Google? Because, <laughs> because you mentioned in our first episode that you found yourself crying and staying up all night after you Googled all the possible side effects from your chemo drugs. And that wasn't your experience at all, was it? No, not at all. Um, I think I feel like sometimes, well, actually, I've, I felt this in a couple of different instances throughout my treatment, but um, I not only did I consult Dr. Google, but there are many resources on Facebook um, and social media, but um, I can we can we put it like a little disclaimer out there that this is why you don't do this? Yes, this is why. Yes. So okay. I I I built up the the bad scenarios in my head quite a lot, um, which what I heard later on down my road is um, in counseling was that is called um, catastrophizing, catastrophizing. That's yeah. the long word. Um, Can you so, tell you and I have done therapy? We both know clearly. all the terminology. <laughs> we know all the terms. So catastrophizing, um, you know, it's the same thing as, you know, bringing home your new baby and laying them down and like, you know, thinking about, oh my gosh, that blanket's too close. Like they could put it over their face or like, you know, just basically coming up with all the bad things that could happen. So that's catastrophizing. So me Googling and me searching out social media for all the things that could go wrong in the situation was me preparing for catastrophe so that I could set up my expectations. And then was always in every situation pleasantly surprised when things went so much better. So I I had these images of myself being horribly bed stricken for days and um and not being able to eat anything and and just throwing up all the time. And in reality, I think I I was waiting for the foot to drop every time I got home from each chemo treatment I had for, and, and then it never did. And then, you know, I was all done. I'm like, Oh really? That actually wasn't quite so bad. And I'm not down. I mean, obviously there are some women that have some awful experiences with chemo and just, I think just normalizing the effects that everybody is going to experience it differently. Yeah, I think that I think that's true. First, because I mean, you had four rounds of chemo. I had. This is sad. I don't even know how many I had. <laughs> I had. I, I don't know if twenty is the right word. I mean, I had a lot. I had like four of the AC, and then I think I don't know. It was up there. Uh-huh. It was like twelve weeks of something else, and then I the think AC. this is this is also really for our listeners. If you are like just starting your journey, this is also really good to remember. I was love. It was a lovely reminder just yesterday. I was texting with somebody who is my mentee and um, she, she had something that was going on with her reconstruction. She's a couple weeks out from her reconstruction surgery. And, you know, I was thinking like, gosh, I do remember that. Like, I remember how uncomfortable that was, 
But I think what is cool about what you just demonstrated there is that when you're in the moment, it seems like I will never forget any part of this. But it's like childbirth. Like it is once you're once you're out from it. It's like, oh, that sucked when I was in it. But you know, what's really indicative of that is when we talk to like our 20 year survivors. Yeah, because their biggest worry is like whether or not they're going to be able to remember every piece of somebody's journey just starting out Mm -hmm. to like support them, because Mm -hmm. that's how far removed they are from it, that that's not the you know, that's not the primary focus of their lives anymore. So to piggyback on that. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you're right. And everybody's experience is going to be different. And I had some chemo treatments that were not fun. um, But I think that there were, to your point, other parts of treatment that other people had said, oh, watch out for this. And then that wasn't my experience at all yeah you know yeah. even just little things yeah yeah you know I think it's just being open to to the experience and knowing that you know what's going to come of it is going to come of it and you're doing what you can to survive yeah in that moment so yeah yeah so what do we want people to know that are listening right now regarding the ups and downs of treatment I mean I think the biggest ups and downs to to realize is is to normalize that those are going to happen just like in normal life um even outside of treatment ups and downs happen even after treatment ups and downs are going to happen um you confronting those feelings and and naming them for what they are and then putting them aside um not stuffing them down to wait for them to all bubble up and bubble over like a pot of water mm-hmm. um but to to see them, name them, feel them, mm-hmm. um, and then and then come back. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I basically feel the same way that you do. I, I think that it's just going in with realistic expectations and knowing that cancer, like life, is not linear, but rather just ups and downs. And so if you go into it knowing that, then, you know, to your point, um, there's benefits and there's uh, negatives to being overly optimistic or overly pessimistic. So I think it's just going in with realistic expectations and understanding that you are going to have those ups and downs. And but then equipping yourself emotionally to handle those, to, to have a game plan for what am I going to do when I hear something that upsets me? You know, how am I going to acknowledge it? How am I going to move past it? Um, that's something that I really wish people would have told me when I was diagnosed, that cancer is often just as much an emotional battle as a physical one. And so, um, yeah. And so if you can kind of acknowledge that fact and then put uh, coping strategies in place that are healthy for you, I think that would be really good. Um so obviously being diagnosed with cancer is super stressful and hopefully today's show did something to prepare you for the ups and downs of treatment and to encourage you that your feelings have been shared by literally every single cancer patient ever. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so um, simply having realistic expectations um, will help you weather those situations um, so you won't be surprised. And secondly, don't Google, don't Google, don't, Google. don't do it. Yeah. I, my husband had a um, friend who was an oncologist at Mass General. And the first thing she said to me um, when I told her about my diagnosis was um, Beth, like whatever you do, do not Google. <laughs> so <laughs> one of the, one of my chemo drugs, there was a percentage chance. And of course they don't tell you the percentage chance when you google but there was a chance that my hair wouldn't come back and when i saw that i was like my life is going to be different forever right now when just knowing that i'm getting this chemo drug so yeah yeah don't don't go down that road it's there's a lot of misinformation out there and Mm -hmm. so um we'll talk more about that but yeah do not google so uh (laughs) before we kind of wrap up let's go to our second sponsor We all want to stay safe and stay healthy during the pandemic. RX Outreach can help. 
RX Outreach is the nation's largest nonprofit mail order pharmacy, and they have helped their patients save over $662 million in medication costs. They keep it simple so you don't need to worry about coupons or promo codes. They even offer free standard shipping. I love that each bottle cap has their motto, honoring God by serving others on it. Check out their website to see their amazing prices, especially if you know someone with an allergy. They offer two-pack epinephrine auto-injectors for $30, rxoutreach.org. Earlier in the broadcast, I said my husband's friend, who was an oncologist at Mass General, gave me two pieces of advice. Uh, The first was not to Google, and the second was to find a provider that I liked and didn't mind being tethered to for like the next 10 years. (laughs) Next time we'll be discussing finding the right provider for you. All right, until next time, guys.